on the, the eve of the eve of New Year's Day, uh, I thought it would be uh, appropriate, uh, as everyone here is probably making uh, goals and, and ideas of what they want to accomplish in 2019, uh, you know, whether it's trimming some fat, actually graduating, um, not being judgmental, I don't know what yours is. Um, I wanted to give you a quick and, and brief uh, snapshot of uh, where Mosaic is at in our church planting process. And so if you're not familiar, if this is news to you, about two years ago, Kristen and I um, were, were looking at our, our boys who've all come to us from uh, very different ways. You know, Knox was born to us in 2019, uh, Jordan, 2019. <laughs> yeah, I wish y'all saw Kristen. She just said, no. <laughs> 2010. Uh, Jordan was fostered as, as a baby, uh, and we were able to adopt him. Uh, and then Mateo as well, uh, a little bit later, foster and adopt. Uh, and, you know, all these boys are, are like us in very many ways. Uh, they all love sports. Um, they, they are very silly, uh, sometimes too much so. Uh, they do not like eating their vegetables. Um, <laughs> Jordan does. Uh, okay, we're having a, a conversation-type sermon. That's what I like. I like that. Uh, but they will experience the world in very different ways than we will, uh, you know, because of their beautiful heritage. And, you know, as we were looking at our, our family that is a mosaic, you know, we started saying, we think there is a need for a mosaic in East Waco, um, something that, that brings together um, all these different backgrounds uh, to form something beautiful that, that wouldn't happen otherwise. And so, you know, we... we we didn't want to just be missionaries to East Waco uh, across the river. We, we wanted to be East Wacoans. Uh, and so we, um, you know, by God's grace, have our kids enrolled in the schools there. And, you know, they, they've already got one semester under their belts. And they, they're, they're, you know, doing well. Uh, but we wanted to live there. And um, in about a month, we hope... Uh, <laughs> no pressure from the builder that might be in this room. Um, no. Uh, about a month, we were actually going to move in there in February at 704 Rusk. We expect you all to, to pop in. Is that okay, honey? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but we will be with you all here until June, until then. Uh, but then in June, that will be our focus, is uh, East Waco. And so, you know, we, we, are, we are excited. There's been a lot of good momentum. The PCA has, has recommended us to plant. Acts 29 has recommended us to plant. Um, and, you know, what's cooler than even some of that positive momentum is... There's something beautiful, that, uh, ecumenical that's going on with this, so that uh, not only is Redeemer behind this, but now Grace Church is behind this, and now um, Highland Baptist is, is, is getting behind this, and Church Under the Bridge, and then the other PCA and Acts 29 churches, because everyone's seeing, we don't, as churches in Waco, don't always get together a lot on, on things, but there is this commonality that people are saying there is a huge need in East Waco and we may differ on some things theologically, but we can be a part of this. And so it's really cool to have all these different churches coming together and, and praying for and supporting us uh, as we go into East Waco. And so it's really cool. But I just wanted to um, ask you guys, uh, as they're praying for us, would you pray for us as well? Um, I know that's a big general ask, and so I'll just give you something very specific. Uh, would you pray at, in a month as we get to know our neighbors uh, that we would move in well? and get to know the peoples across the street and, and to, to the left of us um, and, our, and our hope-to-be-soon neighbors that are going to move in um, sometime soon. 
And so would you just pray for them that we can move in well and get to know this area well just by the first four families around us. Uh, But I also want to say thank you. Um, Thank you for donating socks. Uh, So if you all had donated socks, we had 828 socks given. (laughs) And so we we completely overwhelmed them. They weren't sure how to dispense all of the socks. Um, So they pour them all on tables and had the kids come to the tables while they were doing their Christmas store um, where they give gifts to their families and things like that. And we saw kids uh, playfully fighting over the socks that you had given. And so I wanted to say thank you for doing so. It was a beautiful thing. I think uh, we we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. They heard there was a a random church they had not any word from or heard anything from um, that loved them enough to, to give them this gift and then also show a very tangible, uh, you know, practical way of warming their feet during the Christmas times. And so, y'all killed it. Good job. Uh, thank you. Uh, but just wanted to give you guys this, this quick snapshot of uh, where things are going, uh, where they've been, where they're going with Mosaic. All right, that's enough about that. Let's all stand and read God's Word. All right. We are in Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that it would be your word, Lord, but we would say thanks be to God because it is your word. And so, Lord, we need to hear from you. Uh, we know there is so much going on in our, our lives right now that might be stressing us out or uh, that would just been a, a huge accomplishment just to be here this morning. And so, God, we ask that this would not just be another thing to, to do on a Sunday, on our weekend, but, Lord, this is something that we get to do, that we get to experience you and hear from you this, this morning. So, Lord, would we, would we have that divine interaction this morning? Would you speak loudly to our souls? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this morning um, a couple questions. Um, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? What, 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 when you think of that, you know, how do you define that? Are you a Christian? If you don't know how to define what a Christian is, how do you know how to say what a, if you are a Christian? You know, so are you one? Because the disciples here were the first ever Christians. It says here, the vast, very last verse here, that the disciples were first called Christians here. And so this is where it starts. This is where it begins, right here in Antioch. And so why? 
Why were they called Christians for the first time ever? What happened here in this church that had never happened before? Well, before we answer that question, let me ask you another question. How many of y'all have heard of a famous American uh, preacher named George Whitfield? Some of y'all? Some of y'all? Yeah? He's probably one of the, um, one of the greatest American uh, preachers uh, that we've had. He, um, there are reports that he has preached over 18,000 sermons. <laughs> I don't even want to go that route. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. But he, he had preached to 10 million listeners with those 18,000 sermons. I mean, that is impressive. And so he, he is known and heralded as, as America's great preacher. But he was also known for having this orphanage, that he, he, this huge orphanage to care for orphans, to, for the broken kids. But did you also know that he was also a very big proponent of slavery? Yeah, it, 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 this odd contrast. He, he would actually tell his church planters, the, the planters that he had sent out, it said, yes, you should be um, you know, kinder to your slaves, but cruelty could have the positive effect of heightening the slaves' sense of their natural misery, making them more receptive to the gospel. Let me, let me say that for you in another way so we get that. He's telling them to beat their slaves harder so that they receive the gospel. And you wonder, how can you be, a, how can you be about this and about this? How can you be about both? And we also had, had missionaries in the name of Christianity who made sure their slaves repeated oaths before their baptism. Think of this disgusting baptism that you would have to witness. And they would say things like, It's not out of any design to free myself from the duty and obedience of my master, but merely for the good of my soul. So now Christianity is not for both body and soul. It's only for your soul. Is that right? No, 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 no. That, that's a heresy called Gnosticism. And the early church dealt with that a long time ago. We... That is not right. But is this what it means to be a Christian? Is it, is it to de dehumanize bodies around you? Is that Christian? No, that's wrong. And to see those different from us and just wish they'd comply or maybe even wish they'd be wiped off the earth, is that what God has called us to? No. This flies in the face of the Imago Dei, the Latin for image of God that every person has been made beautiful and that every single human being made in his image is, is cherished and loved and cared for as a mom cares for her baby in her arms. That's how God sees us. And so what is a Christian? If these men claim to be Christian and reveal something repulsive, what is it? Is it just a product of being born in, in, in a, a certain area? Is it a product of, of kind of a, a culturalism? Uh, it's kind of like this. How many of y'all say pecan or how many of y'all say pecan? Let's go with the pecans. How many of y'all are here? Any pecans? We got one. <laughs> a two? Okay. Three. We're going for three. She didn't want to put her hand, own hand up, though. Her husband did it for her. <laughs> it's actually pecan. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad the group understood. I'm sorry for you three. 
Um, but maybe this is what your takeaway from the sermon here. <laughs> but is, is it just depending on what you were born into? Is it just cultural? Uh, so Christianity is just a culturalism because you're born in the South? Is that right? Well, let's look at our passage here. Something happens in verse 19. It says, Some were only spreading the gospel to the Jews only. The gospel is only for this race. They wouldn't share the good news with other other ethnicities. But if you would make yourself like a Jew, then you could get in on some of the goods. Doesn't that sound eerily similar to what we just talked about? God doesn't want anything to do with that. And he works against that in Antioch. What do you all know about Antioch? It's not just a church in our city. I think that's probably what most people thought. We're like, oh, it's, it's a city itself, right? It's not just a church. It's a city itself. Antioch was actually the capital of Syria. And Antioch was, was the third largest city of the, uh, of the Roman Empire at that time. So you, you, had, you had Rome, you had Alexandria, and you had Antioch. You know, we have New York City, we have Houston, and we have Chicago. And so Antioch is like the Chicago of the Roman Empire, okay? That, you can think of it that way. It, it's a pretty big city. And in Syria, in, in, in Antioch, it was 10 to 15 times the size of Jerusalem, where most of the, the church was coming out from. And so Antioch was far more social, far more urban, far more multi-ethnic, and far more troubled socially. And so it's the type of city that us parents worry our kids will move off into one day. You go, oh, don't pick that city where there's many different views on religion, there's many different views on sex, there's many different views on cultural values. And so the thought is that the the more urban the environment, the less Christian. The more city-like and sophisticated the less this silly little religion actually will survive. But historians will actually tell you that the opposite happens. That the bigger the city, the more Christianity flourishes. (laughs) That that the, the more urban, the more differing views, the more Christianity prevails. And so it's not just ancient history with Antioch. That's still true today. That's what we see is going on in New York City. That's what we see is now going on in the city of Houston. We're seeing it all over. And so when Antioch was built, it was built by a guy named Seleucus, who was uh, one of Alexander the Great's generals. And when he built the city, he also built a huge wall around the city because there was, they were in Syria, and it was this multi-ethnic city and we know from a fact from history that there were, there were Romans living there, there were Greeks living there, Jews were living there, Africans, Asians, Persians, Chinese. There was at least 18 different ethnic quarters present in Antioch. 18 different, 18 different ways of doing life, 18 different cultural values, 18 different ways of seeing the world. And every race and every culture thinks that their race is superior to the other. And so they built, didn't just build a wall around the city, they started building walls in the city to protect the races and nations from each other. Because in an instant, in a drop of a hat, if someone stepped on another's robe, if someone was robbed, of course it was the other race's fault. 
And so they would have all these fights breaking out between these races and between these ethnicities, between these cultures. And so they needed fortresses inside their fortress. And so they built walls within walls. They built walls within a walled city to wall up their walled-out hearts. But when the gospel comes to Antioch for the first time in history, the disciples had to be called Christians because for the first time in history, people were crossing walls to worship together. For the first time in history, people were crossing walls to worship together. Verse 20 says, but, some, but there were some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists or the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Y'all, this, this is huge. They crossed outside of their Jewish quarters, and it's, this, it's the closest thing we get to the, to the black-white uh, reconciliation in Scripture. It's not just the Greeks and Jews crossing walls. It, we, we see a couple chapters later that you have three continents and four different racial groups all coming together. And what does that mean? When, when, how, how do you name a group like that? If you have people from Africa coming, do you say it's the African God? If you have people from China coming, do you say it's the Chinese God? But when you have all these groups coming together, what do you call them? I mean, what do we do? They had to call it something, and so they called it Christian. A disciple of Christ, something new, because they could no longer call it the Jewish God because you're a Jew, or the Chinese God because you're Chinese, or the Syrian God because you're from Syria. They had to come up with a new name because groups from all over were coming together. They had to come up with a new name because they had something deeper than a cultural value to bind them together. And in verse 21, it grew. It grew because it was multi-ethnic. It grew because it was multicultural. It was an outgrowth of the gospel, and it was the cause of conversions. People would see walls were being torn down, and Christianity exploded. People would see walls and cultural norms were, were not synonymous with the faith. It, it wasn't that it was just the American religion or the Greek religion. They had to come up with something that would be crossing these international barriers. And so they would see walls crumbling down because people were believing. Spiritual walls were crumbling down. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that, that, that's why we're calling our new church Mosaic. A mosaic is this art form where you, you take all these, these broken, shattered pieces of glass, these different colors that, that look good by themselves, but when you put them all together, it, they achieve something more beautiful than they could have ever achieved on their own. And so just as an, an artist cares deeply about every color on their canvas, so God cares about every color on his color wheel. And these colors are, no longer, are not just meshed together. They keep their, in, their, their distinct values and culture. But you put them together and you look back and you go, man, that's beautiful. Only God could do that. Only God could bring together all of these different groups that shouldn't have anything to do with one another. And so God cares about them so much that he's bringing them all together. And we get something bigger and better. And that's what we're trying to do with Mosaic. We want, to, we want to bring together all these different groups. We want to tear down walls. That The Brazos River is this, is this wall to East Waco. We want to tear that down and bring East Waco to the rest of Waco. God has always been using Mosaics to build his kingdom. He had the 12 tribes to form one nation the 12 disciples to form one church, 
And God, for some reason, chose to make the most beautiful mosaics out of shattered pieces of glass, shattered human beings, and bringing them together. And God shines the brighter because he brings beauty through brokenness. Beauty through brokenness. He's putting together broken pieces and people groups to make something glorious. And the church of today would start looking like what the future that Revelation speaks of and what Antioch is portraying right here. I mean, that would rock the world. People would look at it and go, what's going on there? I mean, Pastor Eric Mason said, what if God sovereignly allowed the church to be racially separate for a time because he intends to impact the world by bringing us all together as one family? What if the things that are happening right now are God's way of telling us it's time to wake up and act like family? And just like the city of Antioch, we don't just build walls around us, we build walls in our cities, and they look like streets, and they look like train tracks, and they look like rivers. But we also build walls in our hearts. We all build walls. What walls are you building up in your heart? Are are there people that you would just much rather ignore? That's a wall. Are, Are there... Are there some that you would you just rather have nothing to do with? You don't return their phone calls? That's a wall. Are there those that you talk trash and gossip about? Wall, wall, wall. There's some people who get on our nerves and offend us and infuriate us, and we just much rather have nothing to do with them, but this new term Christian changes everything. Being a Christian doesn't allow us to do this. It doesn't allow us to just wall people out. Christianity brings down walls so the person whose culture is different than yours actually has more in common with you than maybe your own family. God is bringing beauty through brokenness. And Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's saying our love for one another has to be so radical that people of the world will just stop and take notice and go, wow, why is she loving her? Wow, why would he give up everything for them? I mean, the world will stop and go, what is going on there? And that is beautiful. That is compelling. That shocks the world and reaches people. Did you guys know that the the density of New York City is about 100 people per acre? And 98% of it is high-rises. But in the city of Antioch, they had about 200 people per acre. No high-rises. All clumped together in a small little space. And no toilets. Imagine the smell wafted in. (laughs) No, when someone got sick because of this unsanitary situation, they had to push them out in the streets. The common practice was, if you get sick, you can't contaminate this whole household, so you are going out on the streets. I mean, you contaminate me? No, thank you. Uh, I've got better things to do. I have more ambitions in life. And so... 
when sickness became rampant and you got thrown into the street and people said, no, you got to go. You've got to be out of here. Nope, out. It was the Christians. It was the Christians who were the ones who were bringing the sick into their homes and nursing them back to health. It was the Christians who had the assurance that this life isn't all there is and that the life to come is so much better than this that they could take the sick into their homes and it was the Christians who showed compassion and love to hurting people. And people saw love in action, painful and beautiful love, and the church explodes. I mean, this is how a dying world sees the love of Christ. It is not through well-marketed events. It's not through uh, really complicated arguments. It's not even through street evangelism, but it's through broken people giving up their grip on life and loving people around them. It's through generosity and sacrifice that the outsiders will see we actually believe this stuff. If we're not trying to build our little kingdoms but looking towards his kingdom, then we can sacrifice anything. These Christians were willing to expose themselves to the sick, which was a possible death sentence. They took great risks to themselves and to the outsider for the other. Notice, they're not at, these Christians are not asking the, the business term, the, the with them, the what's in it for me. The Christians are not asking, what's in it for me? How does this help me? How does this help my people and my church? I mean, these are walls. But with the walls being poor, torn down, the Christians are now going out and pouring themselves out to advance the gospel. The walls are torn down. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes and pours into them because these Christians are, not, are saying, this is, it's not my church, it's Christ's church. And I'll pour out everything for his church, for his people, because they are hurting. But how? We can feel very guilty that we don't look like that right now. How? did they actually do this? How did they risk everything for others? How did they have the power to not follow the world's pattern and ask, what's in it for me? How did they, in the face that nothing was in it for them, but it's just all for others, how did they say, I will risk being contaminated for you? Because Jesus Christ came into this world and we contaminated him. And we threw him into the streets. That's how. We infected him with our sin. And he said, throw me into the streets so that you can live. The disease that is, that is killing you and threatening your very existence, I will take it from you and you will throw me into the streets so that you can have that better life to come. And so contaminate me. I'll jump into the streets for you. Cast me out. And so what is a Christian? What is Christianity? It's not some rigid rules and religion. It's radical, unnatural love and justice for broken people. For his people. And it breaks down walls. And if our Christianity is putting up walls between us and people, it's not Christianity. That doesn't mean we let people run over us. It doesn't mean we give up our theology. But it does mean we lay down our preferences and say, how can I serve these people? It means you see more in common 
with a brother or sister in Christ than with someone who wears the same school colors as you. If your Christianity doesn't say, contaminate me, it isn't Christianity. Because Christianity is sacrificed because Jesus has been sacrificed for you. So what does that look like in 2019? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of antibiotics and Tylenol. I don't know what we'd do without it. I think we'd look more like this. So becoming sick isn't a death sentence anymore. But how do we, in 2019, say, contaminate me? How do we show the world we're not just in it for me, but because Jesus was in it for me, I can be in it for others? How do, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, clearly it looks like sacrifice. It looks like looking outward. It looks like being generous. I, mean, I keep thinking of George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, as some of y'all may have watched that over the holidays, who at great sacrifice to himself gave up his own personal dreams, his own personal finances, went into this, this money pit of a house, all these things he wanted to do, but he gave it all up for his community. That without him, that community would have folded so quickly. That's the picture. The early church saw there was this great need, and they gave up everything for them. And then in Antioch, uh, Jerusalem was saying, there's this great revival happening, and we're going to send one of our best preachers, Barnabas, there to serve it. So the church gave up for it. And then if you didn't catch it, in verse 25, Bar Barnabas says, the work is too great for one man. I need, to, I need Paul too. And the church sends Paul too. <laughs> and so the church, from the lay level to the leadership level, was extraordinarily generous, and Christianity is exploding. And so how can you be generous with the lowly ones? The ones the world says, just to throw in the streets, let, let them fend for themselves. The most vulnerable people in Scripture are the poor, are the orphans, are the widows, and are the foreigners. Who is God calling you to be generous and sacrificial towards? The question is not, is he calling you to that? The question is, who is he calling you to be generous towards? The gospel makes us radically generous people towards people who don't benefit us. <laughs> And so today, I ask you to say, contaminate me. <laughs> it's a weird thing to walk away with. Say, contaminate me, throw me into the streets for some people. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus says, take my life. And if he says, take my life, throw me into the streets, then we can re return and do something and say, then throw me in the streets too for this person, this person, this person. That is the only type of love that is radical enough to change this world. We need radical love to change a radically broken world, and that is the only thing that's going to do it. And so if you've never met or seen this type of Christianity, let me introduce you to it. This is what Christianity is. It's radical, it's sacrificial. And if you've never confessed your sins boldly and said, I am broken and I am in need of a Savior. I've offended a holy God, 
but that for some reason that God came down and, and said, let me take your sins and let me, let me push them into my hands and into my feet and I will die for you. Man, he's saying, I want to I bring you into this family. I want to restore you. I want to give you the love that you've been so longing for and bring you into this beautiful mosaic that I'm gathering of all these different people from all across the world. If you've never met that God, would you meet him this morning? Would you talk to some people? Talk to me. Talk to the person who brought you. We have a very radical and generous God who wants to be generous and radical with his grace to you. Let's pray.